at the beginning you feel that you're not getting regular jobs because you're not good enough. You never think, oh, I just started. I don't have the connections or I don't know how to navigate the space yet. We just automatically go to the place where you think that you're worthless, you're not talented enough. And it's just a matter of figuring out what, number one, like what you're good at, what you like to photograph. Hopefully it's the same thing as what you're good at. Like once you get your foot in the door, things become they don't become like super easy but they become easier and you are able to navigate the space a little bit better welcome to the genius women podcast i'm your host julia Denison, a published travel photographer and writer an entrepreneur and founder of genius women four years ago i quit my corporate job to pursue my dreams and today I'm on a mission to help other women pursue their creative dreams as well. This is Genius Women, a podcast where we explore living a rich, meaningful, beautiful creative life through in-depth conversations with brave women pursuing their wildest dreams. If you're ready to put your fears and doubts to the side, go after your dreams and step into your brilliance, you're in the right place. Let's go. In today's episode, I speak to Kadiha Farah, a travel and documentary photographer based in Nairobi, Kenya. Kadiha's work appears in the New York Times, The Washington Post, The Guardian, and more. And in this episode, we dig into the thrills and the lows of being a freelance photographer and discuss why women are making this industry a more welcoming and accessible space. Kadiha is a member of Inland Stories, an international cooperative of long-term documentary photographers. Her work is part of the 2020 Lit List by Authority Collective, Women Photograph, Diversify Photo, and World Press Photo's African Photojournalism Database. Kadiha's most recent project includes In Bibi's Kitchen, a cookbook with recipes and stories from eight African nations, for which she produced all on-location images. The book is out now by Penguin Random House. I'm so excited to have Kadiha on the show today, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Before we get to today's episode, I just wanted to say that if you're a new listener, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Be sure to go to geniuswomen.com travel and grab your free guide to getting your travel stories published. And remember, women is spelled as W-O-M-X-N. Again, you can find that free guide at geniuswomen.com travel. Okay, let's dive in. Dear Kadiha, I am so excited to have you on the show. I have been following you on Instagram for, it feels like many years now, and I've been enjoying your work so much, and I'm just really so excited um, to have this conversation with you now. So welcome, welcome. So I want to start our chat where I always start, which is, I'd love to know, what were you dreaming about as a kid? Oh my goodness. <laughs> so many things. I was dreaming about always being out in nature, about like always like seeing new places and my dream job as a kid and honestly it still is was to be a park ranger. <laughs> oh my um, goodness. Yeah, so I was just really obsessed with wildlife and nature and just yeah I wanted to see all the places and it was just it was just I it was a thing that I never thought was honestly possible because I was like I'm gonna be a doctor I'm gonna be you know <laughs> maybe something but it just seemed like exactly what that like a dream so that's what I was dreaming of as a kid yeah. And you just mentioned that you thought you were going to be a doctor, but you were <laughs> dreaming about being a park ranger. Is being a doctor, was that something that like was the plan your family discussed or where did that come from? It just came, I think, from what I thought that people wanted from me. And also 
it seemed like it was it was a job that helps people and I always just wanted to be useful and yeah to help people and the one thing that came to mind was being a doctor and so I was just on that path I think for a while yeah it seemed a lot more attainable to be a doctor than to be a park, <laughs> park ranger <laughs> yeah interesting so. interesting Tell me, so I want to get, and, and we will get into kind of how that path unfolded, because you mentioned that you were on the doctor path for a while, but I know that today you are not a doctor, you're an amazing photographer, or although you could say that you are a doctor for the souls, maybe. Oh, thanks. <laughs> but tell me, what was your childhood like? I believe I saw that you uh, actually grew up in, in Nairobi, was it? Yes, so I was born in Nairobi. And I lived here until I was 10 years old. And when I was 10, my family and I moved to Arlington, Texas. <laughs> and yeah, so before that, my childhood was very outdoorsy. Like my school is a very green place. I spent a lot of time in the playgrounds and like getting dirty and like collecting frogs in the pond for the science lab and you know things like that. I was very connected to nature when I was here and then when we moved to the U.S. it, it was yeah I became a little bit a lot more disconnected because the schools were a little bit were more concrete kind of prison looking mm -hmm. schools <laughs> and yeah it was an adjustment because I was just so used to feeling the grass and the dirt and like seeing mm -hmm. the trees and if we went on field trips it would be like to the hills and to the mountains and not not like a you know kind of like an indoor museum or like an aquarium where the animals are kind or a zoo you know where the animals are caged up and mm -hmm. I was kind of used to seeing things in the wild and, <laughs> and in the open so that was yeah that was that was an adjustment, an adjustment, I bet. Yeah, a big shock. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can relate to that so much because I was a little bit older than you when I moved. I was 16 when I moved from Estonia to the US. But yeah, I remember a huge shock from just such a different way of life that I've experienced here. And yeah, the school is because my school in Estonia was, it was this old building from the 17th century with these huge ceilings and mm -hmm. these columns and it was so airy and spacious and yes <laughs> then I come here and the school here is like these low ceiling buildings with small windows and I think you're describing that quite aptly that it felt a lot more like a prison than than a school for me so yeah, I understand like fluorescent lighting and that horrible carpet mm. and I was like because <laughs> we never had we never needed extra lighting in our in the classrooms here because the windows were so big and you know mm -hmm. but I mean my childhood I had a, a relatively a good childhood I would say yeah it wasn't like it wasn't like super like carefree or exceptionally like happy or anything but it was just it was normal it was fine yeah mm -hmm. yeah how long how long were you in the U.S. for 15 years so I came back when I was 25. Yeah, and I wasn't expecting to come back and stay. I just thought it was going to be like a short-term vacation and I would go like to grad school or something. And then I ended up not going back and just getting a job here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How did that feel being back? Because I, I, th I think there is such a... Gosh, I, I can, I can uh, relate to so much of your experience in some ways because for me I've actually always wondered if I should come back mm -hmm. and for me I've over the years I've lost that sense of home mm. you know for me Estonia where I'm from is no longer feels like home and so I'm curious to hear how that's happened for you where you came back you weren't intending to be back you, you stayed and how did that feel at the time it it took a while for me honestly to accept that I was here long term and I didn't realize that I was going through an adjustment period because growing up it was it was always 
drilled in us that Kenya is your home. Eventually, like you should go back or should want to go back. America was not like a super permanent place for us, or at least that's that's how that's how my parents felt because they had like all our family was back here and all their all their connections were here. And so I think they thought that it was going to be the same for me as well, but all my friends were in the US and I went through most of my school in the US and whether they liked it or not I adopted a lot of american <laughs> sensibilities and not just american ones texan ones and yeah it was when yeah when you come back it would be interesting to identify myself as an american even though i have an american passport but it's just I was always told that you are Kenyan first and yeah when you're back here you claim Kenya first <laughs> if you start to say no I'm an American it's like oh she's like hoity toity and she she thinks that she's or she's lost her way or something like that so I had to re- like reconcile my americanness with my built-in kenyanness yeah slowly it took a while because every i would go back i would go back maybe twice a year three times a year and i'd i'd be like oh yeah i'm just i'm going back home i'm going back home i'm going <laughs> and yeah it took me maybe three or four years to honestly be like okay you're here now you should probably get a driver's license <laughs> <laughs> you should probably <laughs> actually figure out what it what a life here would look like. And yeah, I think maybe <laughs> this is the one year that I'm like, yes, I'm in Kenya now. <laughs> By far. Oh, so, so you're <laughs> recently starting to feel this way is what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, it's I only feel American maybe like during election season and <laughs> when you watch the news and you're like, "Oh gosh." Or yeah, or when I use have to use my American passport. And then obviously when I talk because I have this accent. It's been interesting like coming to terms with both sides of me. Yeah, and I want to hear more about that as well because that's I think you have by, by the virtue of these experiences you have one of the very unique insights into you know the cultures the westernized western first culture and then the culture that's not like that and I I wonder do you miss living in the states or do you see now the benefits of going back to Kenya. And the reason I ask that is because I have been thinking about that question a lot. As someone who lives in the states and I've been here for the past gosh, 20, 25 years now, too, way too long. I I've never felt like US was my home and I've never been able to find this community here that would make it for me impossible to leave, you know? Mm-hmm. And lately especially I've been just really thinking that it's time for me to go and find that community and and really build that community elsewhere, you know, where lifestyle is not as that does not have all the worst parts of American lifestyle like isolation, like this focus on individualism, me me me, consumption, consumerism, all of those things. So yeah, I'm curious to hear how you feel about that. I don't think I would go back to live in the US. As much as I feel or I grew up in or I spent so much time in the US, I also never felt like it was my true home, mostly because Americans really like to remind you that you are not from there. <laughs> Not all Americans, but a lot of Americans. They're always like, "No, but where are you really from?" And being a black Muslim woman, yes. I just don't feel as comfortable living there as I do here. Or yeah, I just I don't feel as safe. I don't think there are as many opportunities for me there as there are here. And it's made 
it's been made a little bit easier for me because my whole family is here. Yeah. And I see not just my parents and my siblings, but like my nieces and my nephews. I get to see them growing up. And if I was away, I wouldn't be able to enjoy those things. And like you said, there's a, a type of isolation that comes with living in the US. You know, uh, you're isolated from your community, your culture. You have to build your own tribe. And it's great, but it's just, it doesn't have the same feeling of home. And obviously, people have different experiences because I know friends who have moved from here and other places in the world and have moved to the US and they found their people, they found their tribe, and that's where they want to be forever and ever. And yeah, that's just not me. <laughs> that's just not me. It already is hard for me as a, as a woman photographer here. And it's just, I feel honestly, like it is way worse in the US. <laughs> it's yes. just the opportunities just seem like they are not there unless you build your own you build your own space like slowly and create a super niche for yourself but me as a pho photojournalist I don't yeah I would not want to live here Kenya is a good place to be a photo photojournalist <laughs> it really is and that's why you see so many people from outside coming here but yeah I I like the stories that I tell here I feel like I'm regaining the things that I lost when I left. I feel like I'm connecting more with my, with myself and my culture and my ancestors who I was not able to connect with before and who passed away when I was gone. And yeah, it's just, it's a relearning process. I, yeah, I feel like I'm relearning who I am. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and get to, getting to know myself. I love that. I love that. And I think something that you said is something that I've been seeing a lot amongst my friends who coincidentally all are immigrants in the U.S. as well. Mm -hmm. But I see this conversation keeps uh, coming back and people are thinking about this more and more. Whereas I feel like even maybe 10, 20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago, the U.S. was the place to be, right, for young, smart, ambitious, driven people who had few opportunities at home. The U.S. was really the place to be, and that's one you know, big reason why all those immigration waves kept happening. And I feel like the balance of that power has shifted in the recent maybe five to ten years where more and more people are realizing that well you know back home is really where the place to be is right now because of the opportunities like you mentioned because of the, the way you're surrounded by your community and your roots and by all the exciting and exciting changes that are happening what comes to mind to me is some of my friends who are from Pakistan are also having this conversation right now, should we be going back right now and really shaping the way Pakistan is developing and growing versus being here and being the other here and we will probably forever be the other here. Where is that right place to be right now for us? And so I feel like that's what you're touching upon as well. And to me, that's exciting, right? To me, that's like, okay, the states have been on the pedestal for <laughs> way too many years. It's, it's time for all these other places to shine. And I just find it amazing to see all these, again, young, brilliant, smart people working on exciting projects at home. And to me, it's just, it's hope, you know, it's, it's hope for the world is what that is. Yeah, yeah I agree. And honestly, a lot of the community that immigrants form in the US and like other countries is based on based off of survival like you are all yes. in survival mode and it's like trauma bonding <laughs> and I realized that I so many of my 
friendships and connections in the U.S. I love them so much, but it's it's all based off of a certain kind of trauma that we've gone through just because of the system there and how it is. But the friendships and the connections that I have made back home have been, I don't know, a little bit more based off of love than than anything else and Mm -hmm. you don't feel like um yeah yeah it's just it's so much lighter even though we're all trying to survive and we're all trying to make it in life just in general and life is hard everywhere but yeah it's been a different kind of experience getting to tell stories here is just so much more fulfilling to me I think I would have a different point of view if I maybe if I spent more like a longer time in the US or if I was born there or something but no I get it yeah I get <laughs> it. and what I'm particularly curious about is you know as you mentioned you were thinking about becoming a doctor and you were on that path for some time and you also had that dream of being a park ranger like how did that unravel and now you are a photojournalist. So walk us through that path. And it's probably not as straight, straightforward as I made it sound. It's never, it's never that straightforward, right? Okay. I always really loved taking pictures ever since I was a kid. Whenever we would go on trips or vacations, they, my family, they would just hand me the camera. And I would be the one that was just like snapping, snapping, snapping. And I never really wanted to be in like any of the pictures but I just never thought that this was something that I could ever do why do you think that is oh because it just you know I I grew up watching these National Geographic tapes that my dad would get me every time like he would go on a trip he would come back with a new set VHS tapes and I would just pop them in Mm -hmm. and watch them like obsessively I would always hear the voices and the voices were either like British or American men that would always have like you know these like white men and uh, white cameramen and camera women like um yeah I just never saw myself anywhere in that space so I just was like Mm -hmm. this is just a job that white people get obviously so (laughs) so I was like let me just file that it so it just that's sh- I was just like, this is just something that I, I could do for a hobby. So, yeah, I focused on being a doctor. And I was a super, like, I was a really good student, like, honor classes, <laughs> AP classes, whatever. But when I was in uni, I was a pre-med student for two years. And then I took organic chemistry <laughs> And I was like, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me. Um, I hear that organic chemistry is the class that trips up a lot of future doctors from the past. And I just, I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever been through. (laughs) And then after organic chemistry was genetics. And it just like, there was some kind of like block in my mind. And my brain did not want to process any of this information. It was just like, no, what you really like is writing and being a journalist. I really was like, you want to be a journalist, you want to be a writer, because a writer was way more, like, in my head, more attainable than being a photographer. It was more, like, quote-unquote, like, more respectful job. And so I switched majors and started majoring in journalism. But again, my department was, like, you know, it was mostly white. I remember a teacher telling me, you would be really great on radio. (laughs) Um, And I was like, oh my God, (laughs) whatever do you mean? Then another teacher was like, this just doesn't seem like it's the right path for you. And I was so confused because I was doing really well, I thought. Yeah, it just didn't make any sense. But I was like, okay, if these people don't want me here then maybe I'll go where else I'm like somewhere else I'm wanted <laughs> wanted mm-hmm. I switched my major again to anthropology because I really was like ah, this seems like a fun thing to study <laughs> I thought maybe oh maybe this will get me like one step closer to being a park ranger <laughs> so yeah 
So then I switched. I just, it was just like so many switches. In the end, I graduated with an anthropology and history major, double major. And then I was like, what to do with this degree? I knew that I, you know, wanted to be of service and I wanted to help people. So I became a social worker intern at the IRC. And so I started working with refugees and Mm -hmm. I thought, yeah, this is, this is something I really enjoy. I enjoy helping people figure out their first steps in the US and figure out the system and kind of use my experience, even though I, I didn't go as a ref, as a refugee, but I was like, I could I could help these people. I did that for about a year and a half. And that's when I came back to Kenya. Just it was supposed to just be a vacation. But then I got a job as a social worker in a refugee camp here. Then I started taking pictures in the refugee camp. Again, just something that I was doing for fun, taking pictures, talking to people, recording their stories. After that, I started posting them on Instagram with their consent, of course. And the the rest is history, right? (laughs) Yeah, people were like, oh, this is pretty interesting. This is pretty good. And then I got my first commission and I was like, oh, snap. Is this something that I can actually do? Like for real? And then... Because I couldn't, I couldn't work as a social worker and take commissions. I decided to quit being a social worker and try to focus on being a photographer full time. And that didn't work out. <laughs> no, yeah, because it was not as easy as I thought. I thought maybe once the first one came in, the rest would just be like, you know, they would just roll in and it would be great. And I would just be like taking pictures and life would be great. And I went about nine or 10 months without any like other work. And I was like, oh, this is the worst. (laughs) This is the worst. I was like, I should go back to being a social worker. But I thought, no, that would be going, going back. But I figured out that photography is something that I want to pursue. So I took a job as a communications manager (laughs) because it allowed me to, one, have a regular paycheck and two, take photos, hone my skills a little bit. And so I did that for a year. And after that, I was like, fine, I'm going to do this. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to be freelance. And that was about two years ago. Wow. I I have so many questions and I I want to talk more in depth about the past two years because I feel like that's really where a lot of people have questions in, right? Like, how do you even make this freelancing thing work? Mm -hmm. It's so unstable. There's so many There's so many things there. So I want to get into that. But at at first, I want to just comment on a couple of things that you said that I think were important. First, actually, I have a question. Was there a time or I guess when was the time that you started calling yourself a photojournalist? And was there something specific that happened? Or was that something that just started happening at some point? Because I feel like at least this has been my journey that until I started calling myself a travel photographer and writer like nothing was happening for me because I even didn't believe myself that this path is viable like what you said earlier about that as well but so I'm, I'm curious was there like a specific moment and if so what triggered it yes okay I always said that I was not going to call myself one until it was the main thing that I was earning money for and I was able to survive. Yeah, it was the one thing that I was surviving on. And yeah, that's when I was like, cool, this is what you're doing. You better start calling yourself that. Because mm-hmm. before it was like social worker. I And I take pictures on the side because that's what it was. And yeah, it was once I started making it's not a comfortable living obviously <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's just once I started earning like regular money yeah I was like that then you can add that to your titles and then 
were there any women that you saw and you like, wow, this, this is a model for me, or like, I could do this, or somebody who could kind of show you the path forward in this field? Or was it mostly trying to figure this out on your own? So I did have people who I looked up to. And I thought, if they can do it, so can you. In that we come from similar places and that and similar backgrounds. And, you know, even though obviously we had different careers before this, but it's just being able to see people who look like you or come from the same place and have made space for themselves in this field. It does so much for you even if you don't speak to them directly or if you don't get regular advice from them or, you know, because there's no blueprint. No one can actually tell you this, you should do this and then do this and then do that. And then you'll be great because (laughs) they had to find their own way. And so it took me a lot, honestly, like a long time to get comfortable or be able to ask for advice just because I was like, you have to make your own way. They've made their own way. And so you should make your own way. Um, Yeah. Obviously now I'm just like, I ask all the questions that I want and I try to answer people's questions if they have them, but people like Yagazie or Sarah Waiswa in Kenya or Gulshan Khan in South Africa, people like them, just seeing them succeed has, it's just, it's, first of all, I love seeing us succeed. I love seeing women succeed. I love seeing African women succeed. Mm -hmm. I love seeing black women succeed. It's just, it's things that I wish younger me would have seen because I would not have gone through any of the other like BS that (laughs) that I put myself through, you know, like yes. education that didn't make any sense or I would have just been like, go to art school, <laughs> something. I'm low-key so jealous of like my nieces because they get to see people who look like them who are occupying spaces, whether it's like in sports or in the arts or in science or whatever that we didn't get to see or that our parents didn't get to see. So yeah, there are so many women who have inspired me on my journey. I don't even know where to start. Instagram has been a huge source of, of inspiration, even though like it, it has its issues. And being able to directly contact people and just ask them questions on the fly and they respond to you, Whereas before, I would never have thought, oh, I should write Beverly Joubert a letter and tell her that her documentaries really hit a nerve, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like really inspired younger me. But yeah, now I could just probably send her a DM. It's like the barrier to communication has been lowered significantly with with that platform. I, I think something that you said it's so interesting because as I'm doing more and more of interviews uh, on, on this platform, it's like I, I start picking up threads that, that run through the interviews. And this thread, which you said, has been so important because I also have thought that, no, I cannot ask for help. I have to figure everything alone. I, I have to earn this alone on my way or like in my own way. And what I'm hearing from a lot of women when I ask them these questions is that, no, (laughs) don't do it alone. You can ask for help and you can ask for questions and and, and you will really save yourself so much worry, so much doubt, so many kind of missteps if you just reach out and ask for help. And at the end of the day, most of us just, most of us want to uplift each other anyway. My view is that there's honestly enough space for everybody. So it's not, I don't really view people who ask me questions as like competition or anything. (laughs) Um, Because I'm like, if I like, if I lose a job to somebody else, it means that person was, you know, either they were better for the job or, you know, it was meant for them. There's that saying that like, 
whatever is for me will never miss me. And if you just help someone else on their journey, can you imagine how many karma points you're getting? (laughs) (laughs) Photographers are very like, I don't know how to describe us, but we're very protective of like our craft or like we guard our, our like, our knowledge, like it's some kind of thing that shouldn't be shared. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, what is the point of existing if you don't get to share your gifts or your skills with other people? I don't get it. So I try to ask or answer the questions when I get them in the hope that eventually if I have questions, that someone else will also mm-hmm. answer them for me. I think what you're what you're touching on is I, I think that comes from that a little bit outdated what's the word view of who gets to be a photographer. It's that exclusive mm. space for that w- white man yeah. <laughs> who can be in that space and go on those National Geographic assignments, etc. And I just think that women in general, we have such a different approach to that, right? No, like we want to share, we want to embrace, we want to uplift, like you said, we want to empower. And that that's what's been so amazing for me to see in the photography space. Like you mentioned, women supporting other women, sharing mm-hmm. their skills, sharing their time and their knowledge. And I just, yeah, I feel like that's, in general, that's the approach that women are more nurturing in yeah. some ways. And I don't want to necessarily make this all about gender, but I do feel like there is something there about that nurturing aspect that comes to play here as well. Yeah. So tell me about this freelancing part now. So gosh, that's speaking from my own experience. That's a tough one, right? That's a tough, that's a tough path to be on. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no, it, it, yeah, it is very hard. And it's a lot of silencing the voices that tell you that you're not good enough or that you don't deserve mm-hmm. to be there. And you, at the beginning, you feel that you're not getting regular jobs because you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's never because... You never think, oh, I just started. I don't have the connections or I don't know how to navigate the space yet. Or like you, we just automatically go to the place where you think that you're worthless. You're not talented enough. And it's just a matter of figuring out what, number one, like what you're good at, what you like to photograph. Hopefully it's the same thing as what you're good at. Yeah, it like, like once you get your foot in the door, things become, they don't become like super easy, but they become easier and you are able to navigate the space a little bit better. And once you maybe have one editor who really likes you or one publication who really likes you and you lock in that regular client then things become you know become a little bit easier but I feel like at the beginning we think that things are going to happen quickly and this is another thing about Instagram and you know other platforms because you're like I see this person is getting like all the work and I see this person is uh, doing this and that and you start comparing yourself and your journey to other people and you don't know what like how long they've been doing it or you don't know what they did to get there like we don't yeah we don't know each other's journeys but we love to compare and like I said we just automatically go to that into to that space to that dark space that's yeah maybe I should just drop this and do something else and there's no shame in that because survival is something that you need to do if you see that freelancing is not yielding the results that you want don't be ashamed of taking like a nine-to-five job because what use is your talent and your skill if you are you know starving or if you don't have a place to stay so yeah yeah, it's that and then you 
it's this thing where we feel like if we have to do that, then we have failed and we can never be an independent person. And yeah, but everybody's journeys are different. I'm only at in the place that I am this year because of a pandemic. <laughs> I'm only getting jobs, to be honest, because of a pandemic, because there are no, there are not that many photojournalists in the country at the moment. And who you usually know. fly in for jobs, yes. is what you're saying. Yeah. So myself and other local photographers at the moment, we are thriving. <laughs> and, you know, we don't know what's going to happen when there's no pandemic. You might lose all your clients all over again. The freelancing is just this thing where it's just, you live in a bubble of uncertainty. But the thing that is keeping you going is the love of what you do. I don't know what else I would rather be doing. Maybe arranging flowers, but <laughs> but yeah, I I don't know what else fulfills me as much as this at the moment. Gosh, there's just so much of what you said resonates with me on, on such a deep level because mm-hmm. I think we feel very much alike in that sense. And I just want to point out a couple of things that you said. What Well, you said about when we're first starting out and we want everything to happen so quickly and we're comparing ourselves to others' journeys, although we have no idea how their journeys are unfolding. And when things are not happening immediately or when we're not getting the projects that we want, we often go to that dark place. I almost feel in some ways it has to do with humility. And and I've been thinking about humility a lot lately, so feeling that humility towards not being the most successful, the best at everything right away is humility. It's giving yourself that space and it's recognizing that it's going to take time for me to build connections, like you said, figure out my way around this industry, figure out what works and what doesn't. It's going to take time. And there is humility in that. It's like acknowledging that. I'm just starting here, so I need to be patient. And the other thing is, too, I also feel that there is absolutely no shame in dropping this if it's not working for you, but also finding a way to support your dream with any Mm -hmm. means necessary. There's so many different paths to do that. Maybe not being 100% freelance is one way. Maybe you're supporting yourself with some other income from some other jobs as you continue. It's never black and white is, I guess, what I'm trying to say, right? Like there's so many different ways to make this work and there's absolutely no shame in any of those ways. Yeah, I agree. And (laughs) it's interesting because now I feel like freelancing is what I do to support my actual dream of long-term projects. When you start out, you feel like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do for like years. (laughs) And then you learn that there are maybe stories that you would like to tell on your own time or without the restrictions that certain publications have. And where do you get the funding? You can always apply for grants. But a lot lot of this kind of work has to be, you know, self-funded at the moment. I'm taking jobs to fund my long-term projects. And that's that's what I would like to be moving into. Freelancing is such an interesting kind of way of punishing yourself because, yeah, it's not great, but it allows you to do so many things because you don't work with just one person. You work with several people. And you work on several different stories and you go to several different places. Whereas if you were maybe a staff photographer or just tied to one place that you would not be able to do, but then you have weeks where you can get back-to-back jobs and it's exhausting. And then you have other weeks where you're doing nothing. And at the beginning, I used to it used to be hell, like these weeks where I was just sitting and just like waiting for another job or like pitching and not getting anything back. But I've had to reframe the way I see these periods of no assignments. And I'm just like, okay, this is 
time to plan for other things, time to hone your skills if you need to take classes. Because I'm not a technically skilled photographer. I took one class in high school. It was like six weeks long. And (laughs) I'm basically just running off of what I learned in high school. So I use that time to build on my craft and to see how I can get better. Whereas at the beginning of freelancing, I, I... I just used to be like, there's nothing else. Maybe nothing else is going to come. And maybe this is the end. (laughs) Yeah. That's such a healthy way of looking at it because I feel like it it almost helps you in some way. It helps you remove that pressure, right? Because I think the reason why it's so hard to freelance is because there's that pressure. Like where, where, where is my next dollar coming from? And if you have weeks where there are no assignments, it's, it's almost like you feel like you failed in some way and it's, it's really hard to keep going. But if you're f- using that time, if you have the wisdom to understand that some, sometimes there's like multiple assignments that are coming in at once and sometimes it's lighter in some weeks and you're able to use that time to, to better yourself, to, to better your career, your skills, what have you. It's just such a healthier way, I feel like, to approach this. And it comes with experience too. I think it comes with it, with just being in this path and figuring out that being in that dark moment all the time does not serve you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, you have to honestly just take agency of the situation that you are in because otherwise, like, you are letting, I don't know, your circus, like, your circumstances, like, dictate how your life is going to end up being. And I was never one to sit around and just be like, okay, and just let things happen to me. But because there is no blueprint and nobody teaches you any of this, (laughs) I was like, how do I get through this freelancing thing without completely losing myself or like, just falling into the deepest, darkest depression every month or so, just because I have no job and therefore I feel like a failure. (laughs) It doesn't matter how much advice you and I give somebody, it'll always be different for people. Because I've, for example, if I tell people to apply for a certain mentorship program or apply for a grant or something, and then they're like, okay, I never got the mentorship or I never got the grant. And I'm like, okay, that's what worked for me. So I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I can't be like, keep applying, keep applying, keep applying because eventually they have to find another way in. And I can always introduce you to like, to all the editors or like the editors that I've worked with but sometimes editors are fickle and they don't want to work with new people or they just like a certain kind of work. And just because they don't like your work at the time doesn't mean that your work is crap or that that your stories aren't valid. And I think, yeah, as women, we just automatically go to that place where we just dismiss ourselves and we're like, if I'm not getting the thing, therefore, you know. Yes, yes. There's a couple of things that I want to say to what to what you just said. One is is it's learning how to separate ourselves and our sense of worth from our work. Yeah. Because I feel like that's where that comes from, right? When we don't get work or when we get rejections or when the editors are not emailing us back, we immediately go to that place of I'm horrible, my stories are have no validity because we attach mm-hmm that sense of worth to our work so much and the sooner we can learn to disattach and move on and to find a new home and to keep trying to find new homes for those stories the better our career and our and the thicker our skin will be in this career and then the other thing was that it's interesting what you said about giving advice because I agree with you that the specifics might not work but the big insights and the big learnings from how to make this career less insane and make more sense for people. I do feel like that is something that people can take a lot of value from, right? Mm -hmm. Because 
yeah, the specifics are always going to be different for everyone. But knowing that you have, you need to have persistence and that you cannot just pitch somewhere once. And when you don't hear from them, that not giving up after that one time, that sometimes it takes 10, 20, 30 times to put something, to put a story somewhere. I, I feel like those insights are valuable for people and then they can apply them to their own situations as they keep going on this career. Yeah, I agree. And also, I think we like to start out big. And so we pitch to the Condé Nasts. Yes. And the, you know, <laughs> yeah. All these like big, huge places. And often where your story will find, you know, will resonate more with people or will find a better home, as you say, is at a smaller publication. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think we always have like these lofty dreams and dreams are great, honestly, but also we have to be a little bit more realistic because what is the likelihood of some of these people Nat Geo isn't going to immediately go for your work. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they will, and that's going to be great. But you should like work up to that. And you should not tie like your worth and your value to these like big, huge publications mm-hmm. or platforms. And if you don't have, if you don't find a place for a place for your stories, you should put them on your website. <laughs> yes. I think yes. people underestimate the power of their own websites. Like your work doesn't have to just stay on someone else's like page. Like it should go on. You should own it. Mm-hmm. It should be yours. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Or, or, or even places like Medium or Substack or yeah, yes, exactly. other platforms where you have, you're able to publish freely without, without an editor's approval. Goodness, we could spend a whole hour just talking about all the um, intricacy of a freelancer's career, for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it should probably be its own episode, in all honesty, because there's just so much there. But I want to ask you, what's given you the most hope and the most excitement right now, working in the photojournalism field in late 2020 in this reality today? I know you, you had uh, a book come out just recently, so huge congratulations on that in BB's Kitchen, and we'll make sure to link to that book. It's it's a beautiful piece of work, and I know you're sharing some of that work on Instagram as well. So yeah, congratulations. And yeah, what's, what's giving you the most hope right now? That is difficult, mm-hmm. but I think it's seeing how many people have taken ownership of the stories that they tell amongst this pandemic. There's so many people who, especially like younger journalists and photojournalists and filmmakers who are, who have taken this time to turn the camera towards themselves and document their own intimate surroundings. And I'm just like, in awe of how much talent has come out just even like just here in my country and seeing how people are finding ways to thrive without the need for like validation from any kind of platform or publication they're just because when we I think when we tell stories of ourselves or of our families or our neighborhoods, we maybe feel like, oh, this is just something that I'm, you know, doing for myself. And therefore, maybe it's not as important as if I go outside my neighborhood and tell this super interesting story. But I'm really drawing so much inspiration and hope from, yeah, the people documenting their own lives at this moment. There's this there's, I don't know if you do, you probably do know the Journal Collective. I was just going to mention that, actually. I was just going to mention that. Yeah, it's been such a like a source of, of joy, of hope, of happiness, just in all of this. And I love, I have loved seeing 
all of these super talented women worldwide documenting how they have been coping with COVID. Mm-hmm. And it seems like such a, like a benign thing, but the stories and the photos are so powerful. So one thing that's been giving me hope is the journal collective on Instagram. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and for our listeners, the journal collective is an initiative started initiative started by, I, I believe, two women photographers who are part of the women women photograph organization. And we will link to that um, journal in the show notes. And Kadiha is part of that collective and and her work is amazing too i i saw the photos that that are on the side that are yours kaliha and there's they're just amazing i haven't participated in a while just because of work but hopefully i'll get back on it (laughs) yeah awesome and gosh we've covered so much ground a lot of how you feel about this work is resonating with me so i i really appreciate you sharing your thoughts and In closing, I'd like to ask you a question that I always close with, and it's a big question, but maybe how would you start thinking about it, which is, what does it it mean to be a woman who is stepping into her brilliance today? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I don't know. I don't know because I I feel like I'm a hot mess and I don't feel like I'm stepping into any kind of brilliance, but I do think I'm stepping into myself after sort of a long time of feeling like I'm just looking out, watching my life happen Mm -hmm. without having kind of any control over it or I mentioned agency earlier and yeah I feel like not so much stepping into my brilliance I don't know when that'll happen I imagine it will just be with many more cats and like (laughs) sparks and like fireworks and just like glitter or something but yeah, no, I, I don't know what that is, but I do feel like I am just being me, the hot mess I am, and just appreciating it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love your answer so much because it's probably the most real human answer there is. <laughs> the hot messes that we all are. Honestly, we all are. And some of us are better at hiding that and polishing that from, of course, from the outside, looking in and looking at your work and your accomplishments and everything that you're doing. It's an amazing body of work. And you've been able to really, I I think, inspire a lot of other uh, women who want to step into storytelling more. I, I I love what you're doing. I love your work. And thank you for sharing your wisdom and your insights with us today. And congratulations on this beautiful book in Baby's Kitchen. Thank you. And thank you for your work. I think I like followed you back in like what, 2017 or something? <laughs> and I was such a hot mess then. <laughs> it did not come off as that. And yeah, you were just such an inspiration. And especially places like Oman and like Mm -hmm. Jordan especially you captured them in a way that it didn't feel like you were exoticizing the place which is a thing that happened so much and I felt like I knew the people that you photographed and I felt these were places that were not so you know not so far away and I think that's what that's what you do is like you make things seem like they are much closer than they and they actually are. It's not like a it's not like a place that's stuck in time, you know, mm-hmm. as people like to document and exoticize places. But yeah. Uh, in Guatemala. Yes, you're Guatemala. Oh my goodness, girl. I could go on about your work. But anyway, <laughs> I won't. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, uh Katiha. Thank you so much. It it really means the world to me because that's exactly what I 
set out to do. It's like trying to avoid that Western gaze. Yeah, that means so much to me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found this episode helpful. And if so, please consider subscribing to our show so you never miss an episode. If you're a new listener, thank you for checking out the show. And don't forget, you can find all the resources, links, and show notes over at geniuswomen.com. That's women with an X. So if there was something you wanted to check out, you can always, always find it over at geniuswomen.com. That's women spelled as W-O-M-X-N. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time where we dig into what I call the R&R of our dream creative life. Reimagine and recommit. We'll reimagine what our dream creative life could look like in 2021, and we'll take the time to recommit to this path.